Welcome back to another terrifying tale of horror movies and scary stories, where actors, along with special effects and scary music, bring my screenplays to life. Now tonight is one of my award-winning screenplays, and it's titled, Pieces. When an evil ghost unleashes terror upon innocent victims to use them in a bid to break a decades-old curse, it's up to the only living witnesses to stop its murderous rampage. Now tonight's actors are Cheney Bell as Arenda Joy, Walker Rott as Wren Hudson, Elizabeth London as Jade, Morrison James as Diva Jardine, Cash Chisholm is Sean. Jackson Gordon is playing Ethan tonight. Dennis Alonzo is Talon. Maureen Driscoll is the dreaded Mother Superior. Sofian Mahmood is playing Zane Graham. Tyson River is playing Ace. Sims B. Frost is Brad. Lindsay Zana is playing Kylie. Robbie Marshall is Liam Walters. Mike Morgan is portraying our police officer. Amanda Pierce is Vicki. Lydia Blossom is Catherine. Joe Griffenberg is our male number one. Matt Spees is male number two. Shannon Brown is Sean's mother. And I'm Tracy Jules, your host, writer, and narrator for this evening. Listen in the dark and enjoy. It is dusk in Yorktown, Texas. It's a small rural town, 75 miles southeast of San Antonio. Its western feel is leveled by the current day. Queens of the Stone Age song, Smooth Sailing, plays. A compact car on the edge of town enters the city limits. A young woman sits behind the wheel, Arenda Joy. She's 20s. At first glance, she's a plain Jane that's shy, but... Beneath that is a strong-willed, passionate, and self-sufficient woman. Her long hair pulled up in a tight, controlled bun shows her attention to detail and her passion at being a great employee. Animated, she sings, trying to shake off her nerves. I'm burning bridges after surfing the rise. Oh, visions of collision, fucking fun for you guys. So... Further down the street, two boys, Ace and Brad, both 13 with power boy attitudes, ride their bikes past Sean, 12. He's small for his age, a nerdy boy trying to fit in who constantly scrutinizes his own actions. He sits on a side street curb. Sean hops onto his bike, pedaling hard to catch the two boys. Ace! Brad! Me! 
those two boys pedal harder to evade the invasion of Sean. Wait up! Hey! Where are you guys going? Can I come? Fuck off, faggot. <laughs> oh, good one, man. Can I come? Sean pedals hard to catch them, his bike almost level with Ace's when, with a swift leg, Ace kicks Sean's bike, shaking his steadiness. If Sean was closer to Ace, he would be eating pavement right now. Inside the car, Arenda adjusts her mirror to check out her generic desk clerk uniform. She pulls at her tie to straighten it. Sean wobbles and falls. Arenda slams on the brakes, barely missing him. She puts her car in park, hurrying to the child. Oh my God, I almost hit you. Are you okay? What happened? I, I didn't see you. Nothing. It's okay. I'm fine. Sean gets up, brushing himself off, but the pain on his face won't be hidden. Ace and Brad laugh, pedaling away. Ha ha ha! Cocksucking faggot. Pussy bitch. Orinda watches Ace and Brad pedal off. Then... Those kids are assholes. She reaches for his bike, standing it up. Sean notices the blood on his elbow. Ooh, ouch! Hang on. I've got a tissue in my car. Sean grabs his bike. It's okay. I'm okay. I don't need it. Sean tries to hide his embarrassment. I like girls, by the way. What? You... What? Oh, um... That's totally cool, you know? I see that. Totally. Those kids are not your friends, by the way. You don't need them. At all. I know. And anyone that uses that word is just... Well... Not a good person. My mom says it's a bad word. Orenda smiles at the kid. It is. Your mom is right. You sure you're okay? Yeah, I am. I'm sorry. Don't be, I- Bye! He pedals off in the direction of Ace and Brad. Thanks, Orenda! Orenda is surprised. Huh? How did he... She looks down at her name tag, adorning her uniform. Her facial expression sums it up. Sean pedals hard. Next time, just keep pace with them. A vehicle goes around Orenda's car. The occupant stares at her. What? I was helping a little kid, geez. I just saved his life. What? Like what? The car moves on. Exactly. She puts the car in gear and a realization comes over her. Holy fucking shit! I am going to be working where I dreamed of. And I know they'll pick me to give tours. Like not right now, but soon. She looks up to the heavens. You hear me, Catherine? You know I got this. Yeah. I got this. I'll be the best fucking tour guide. She crosses her fingers and lets the car roll forward. Fuck the time! We are now at a quaint hotel. It's Main Street, and it's typical for old western town in modern times. The hotel is the Yorktown B&B. It is a refurbished home. Its sign features rooms, haunted tours, bar, and restaurant on site. 
Directly across from the hotel is the abandoned Yorktown Memorial Hospital. Its fading facade is flanked with red painted doors and chipped stairs. The overgrowth of the weeds cover the base of the sprawling building. An exterior sign reads, For guided ghost tours, visit Yorktown B&B across the street or www.yorktownhauntedhospital.com. Towards the back of this building, Ace and Brad have dropped their bikes, scaled the chain-link fencing, and are pushing against a window, sliding it upwards with effort. Sean keeps out of the boys' sight, watching them enter. Inside the hotel, the foyer's front desk is vacant and small in comparison to larger hotels, but it has a homey feel. A bar is in the next room with tables and patrons. Arenda peeks her head in. She notices the bartender, Ren Hudson, early 20s, fit and handsome. His polo shirt accents his shape, and he exudes a warm intelligence, the kind of man that knows his self-worth and the friend that always has your back. He is making drinks for a server, Talon, they, them, 20s, edgy with a bit of an attitude and a flaw for always being too honest. Hudson looks over and nods to Arenda. Her face obliges his gesture. Arenda surveys her surroundings, picking up a ghost hunting book that's sitting on the entrance table by the brochures. Hudson taps her on the shoulder. She jumps, dropping the book. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry about that. Oh, I, uh... That's okay. They bump heads, trying to pick up the book. She drops her phone and it lights up, showing the last song she was listening to. Damn, girl, you listen to Queens of the Stone Age? Nice. What? Oh, yeah, definitely. So you must be the new girl. Yes, I'm the new Orenda. Oh, um, I mean, yeah, geez. I'm just... Orenda. Orenda. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Jade must be in the bag. I'm sure she'll go over all the nightly duties with you whenever she comes back. She tries to be cool, but only awkward comes through. Oh, yeah. Got you. I mean, got it. I'll take a sit, seat. That's, yep, sit, seat, Mm mm-hmm. Hudson thinks it's cute. Oh, I'm Hudson, by the way. Hudman, got another drink order. And with that, I gotta go. But I'll keep an eye out for Jade if she doesn't come back soon. Thank you. Orenda walks to a chair, and just as she sits, a blonde with a shapely uniform, unlike Orenda's loose fit, peeks her head out of an adjacent hallway. This is Jade. 20s, fun-loving girly girl that's cool and beautiful. The prom queen crush in high school. You Orenda? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Come with me. Jade walks down the hallway with Orenda following behind her. Orenda stares too hard at the sexy sway of Jade's hair across her back. This makes her brush back loose strands from her face and smooth her bun. So tonight, Graham has a VIP coming and he's bringing guests. They're doing a private tour of the grounds after hours, and we have to make sure that they're all set. A tour? How exciting. I think it's- It's not. He's obviously kissing big ass tonight and sucking a shit ton of dick on this one. She turns to face Arenda. Have you eaten? Uh, yes. Thinking fast, she throws out anything. A granola bar? Before. (sighs) That's not food. Okay, come on. Jade pulls her into the next door that leads to the kitchen. Inside the kitchen, Jade walks the line, seeing who is cooking. Oh, hey, Mo. Burger me, bitch. 
A large man with a friendly smile tosses fries on a plate that a burger sits on. He slides it to her. She blows him kisses. He pretends to catch them, <laughs> flying at him at different angles. And he shapes his hands in a heart. Aw, I love you too, Bo. You're the best. Come on, this way. She grabs a knife, leaving the kitchen, and brings Orenda into a small employee seating area. Inside the employee eating area, Jade points. Here. Sit. Jade cuts the burger in two, slides half on a napkin to Arenda. I'm good. I... What? Eat. You're gonna thank me later. Food before drink. And we get free drinks later, so... Eat up. Oh, and try the fries. They're so fucking good. He puts garlic salt or some shit like that on them. Just the fucking best. Arenda picks up the burger and bites into it. Her eyes light up. See? I don't lie. It's really good. Thank you. She pushes the fries closer. Orinda waves it off. Try one. You're not going to, like, gain a pound trying just one, you know. Orinda picks up a fry. Her face agrees it's good. So, we're supposed to be working right now. Orinda rises. Relax. Sit. We've got a few minutes. Those people don't arrive for an hour or two. We're golden. I'll just pretend this is part of... The first night orientation. So, what made you want to take this job? The money. (laughs) I like your honesty. Right to the point. (laughs) Shit. You remind me a little of Talon. They don't pull any punches. Can't blame you. It was the best paying job in this town. (laughs) There's not much here and I need it for class, books, stuff like that. I'm at the community college. Oh, I hear ya. School is expensive. So, what do you know about Graham so far? Huh? He seems professional, courteous, tough. He's a dick. He's literally looking for his next job feeding off our wealthy guests. It's gross. He's such a... A door opens, and Hudson pops his head in. Uh, Jade, we got a live one at the desk. <sighs> Motherfucker. Arenda rises again. Should we go? Jade stares for a hot second. We should, but I don't want to. Reluctantly, she picks up the food. <sighs> Come on. Let the training begin. Hudson smiles at Arenda. I see you found Jade. She nods. You're in good hands. Jade pauses her exit. What the fuck was that all about? What was what about? Hudson! He just went soft on you. That's a first. All the girls fall all over him, like, constantly. In fact, I've been trying to hit that since I've been here. Arenda doesn't know what to say. (laughs) I'm kidding! We're just good friends. I would never. But not kidding that he thinks you're cute. Who? Me? (laughs) What? No way. I just met him. We listened to the same music, and I... Here, throw it in this can. She heads out, and Arenda follows, tossing what's left of her meal. We move now outside to the Yorktown Hospital. With difficulty, Sean maneuvers the fencing, then watches the windows, following the boy's flashlight bouncing across the graffiti-littered interior walls. He walks along with them, peering in the window the best he can, without being noticed. 
Inside the Yorktown Hospital, the boys enter the room Sean sits just outside of. The floor is dirty from neglect and dried leaves move in the breeze that flows from a break on one of the windows. What was that? Did you hear that? Ace moves a flashlight towards the window showing the break. Sean ducks down unseen. Fucking pussy. Then... What the fuck is that? Dude, stop being a pussy. He points to a broken doll on the floor. Oh fuck yeah, I heard about this shit. Sometimes the dolls start talking and there's like no batteries and shit inside them, but they're actually talking. Say something, bitch. Say something, you fuck. He shakes the doll again, then pushes it in Brad's face. Kiss it, bitch. Dude, what the fuck? Shove it up your ass, dickwad. Ace examines the doll again, then tosses it on the floor. Stupid piece of shit doll. The floorboards beneath them creak and moan as they move. Ace's flashlight catches a glimpse of a dark mist growing up out of one of the creaking floorboards. It gets thicker as it rises. Brad notices. Dude, look! Right the fuck there! What? There! Look! He moves the flashlight to the center of the room. The dark matter still rising out of the floor, swaying in and out. As it moves and pulses, it thrives in and out, back and forth. As it takes up space, then becomes thinner, then does this once again. What is this shit? Like, dark and... It's something bad. I can feel it. It's probably a gas leak or some shit. Stop being paranoid. The black mist forms a swaying mass that pulsates. What the? Ace approaches it. Don't! Don't what? It's... It's... Spit it out, asshole. There's something wrong. Look at it! Ace turns to the depth of the matter, reaching a hand out. No! Brad pulls his arm back in. Dude, chill. Brad backs up with a slight tug on Ace's shirt. Come on, let's go! All right, all right, you fucking pussy. It's not like it was gonna get us. The matter dissipates. See? It's gone. You were scared for nothing. Ace turns to walk away, deliberately bumping Brad's shoulder. A brief moment later, he screams out in horrific pain. (coughs) The flashlight flies with Ace's disembodied right arm still holding it, landing near Brad and the wall that Sean hides by. Sean's face peeking in the window. Brad looks down, then quickly to Ace, who turns to him, terrified and in shock. Then Ace emits a guttural, confused moan. My, my. Brad screams out as his left arm is ripped from his body. (coughs) Both boys stand in shock for a hot moment. Then screams come from both of them. (coughs) Their faces fixed in disbelief. The doll whispers a pre-recorded. Outside of the Yorktown Hospital, Sean falls back onto the ground, gasping for air. Was that? Was that? Real? 
Can't be. Sean realizes something has noticed him. His eyes grow large with fear. Out of sight, it's reaching for him as he screams and scrambles backwards, trying to evade what is after him. Go away! Go away! In his haste, he falls back onto his elbows. Fear rushes across his face. He squints his eyes, waiting for that impending doom. His realization is immediate. It should have gotten him already. He squeezes open one eye, then both eyes. It can't leave. It's stuck. Sean scrambles to his feet, running terrified from the building. His crotch is wet with urine as he jumps the fence much quicker than when he arrived. Tears bounce off his cheeks as he runs. Back at the front desk of the hotel, two guests walk away from Jade and Arenda. That's it. Easy, right? Yeah, so easy. You studied the guide, didn't you? She nods. It shows. Okay, come on. I'll show you the closing out that we do each night in the back. Jade talks as she walks. It's so fucking easy checking out at night. It's almost like an afterthought, like Zane got lazy. You'll see what I mean. Inside the bar area, Hudson wipes down the bar top. Behind him is the barback, Ethan, 18. Lanky but strong. He likes to goof off a lot. He's a typical teenager. Ethan is replacing the ice. He spills some on the floor. Pick it up this time, Ethan. I will. I always do. Hudson stops wiping and shoots him a look. What? All right, all right. Jeez. So, is the new girl hot? Like, fuckable hot or what? Talon walks up to the bar, tossing their server tray on the countertop. Mm, she doesn't look hot to me. Not like Jade hotter, Hudson hot. Oh, I get you. Yeah, baby, Jade is so... Mm. Are we really doing this now? Rating people? <laughs> can't wait until I'm not doing this anymore. Graduation just can't come fast enough. I'm not rating. He asked. I answered. It's an honest opinion. Salty much, Hud? I'm not salty, Talon. Jade's still hot as fuck, though. Ethan, Arenda's just different, you know? And by the way, it's not always what's on the outside. Maybe you'll learn that one day and won't piss off near as many women as I think you already have. Hudson makes a drink. Whatever, Hud. I got the girls asking me out like day and night, just as much as you do, bruh. <laughs> no, you don't. Yes, I do. Like, like who? who? Yeah, you owe me one. You owe me a drink like yesterday. I put in a rusty nail for Christ's sake and a cab. Hurry your ass up. Chill. I got it. He sets the rusty nail on their tray, flips a wine glass, and almost begins pouring the wine the moment the glass settles on the tray. Any more complaints? You can take them to Zane, your best friend. No one is Graham's best friend. Who's Zane? Graham. Zane Graham. I just said, ugh. You don't know your own manager's name? Well, you called him something... Uh, whatevs, man. He begins to walk away. Talon leaves with their drinks. Ethan! He stops and turns. What? Ice. I just got you ice, bro. You are so extra right now. Really? 
Hudson points to the floor on a muse. Shit. And take out the garbage too. It's full. Hudson walks away as Ethan cleans it up. Can't wait for you to quit so I can be the bartender and not do this shit anymore. He turns his head facing a full, gross garbage can, his face showing his frustration. Outside at the back of the hotel, darkness has fallen. Ethan walks out of the back of the building and tosses the garbage bag in the can. He packs his vape, then inhales, holding it in. Leaves Russell nearby. He exhales, then takes in another drag. A stifled screech gets his attention. What the fuck was that? Ethan turns to look at the abandoned hospital across the street. Trespassing signs abound. He looks in the bushes closer to him. Who's there? A squirrel runs out of the brush across the lawn. Another squirrel runs out and stops to look at Ethan. (laughs) Hey, little dude. You getting some tonight? The squirrel runs up a nearby tree. I bet you are. He sucks on the vape again with a laugh. (laughs) Fucking squirrels. Ethan heads back in. Back at the front desk, Jade and Arenda enter the area. There are two men holding an overnight bag. Sarcastic about her boss and how things work around there, she never misses an opportunity to treat guests professionally. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you for waiting, and welcome to the Yorktown B&B. I'm Jade, and this is Arenda. She's new and in training right now. In fact, I was just giving her a tour of the facilities, and my most sincere apologies are in order for leaving you standing here without service. Your first drinks will be on us this evening. They smile. Now. She clicks on the computer. What is the last name the reservation is under? Outside on the street... Sean rides his bike, tears stream down his face. He's confused, terrified. He keeps pedaling away from the Yorktown Hospital down the road he took to get there. We fade back into the bar. Hudson talks to two patrons as they exit. Arenda approaches the bar. Hey, Hudson. Jade said I could get a soda from you? Sure. You just can't drink it out there, though. Oh. She didn't tell me that. Well, she said to hide it. Don't, don't, don't do that. Sorry, uh, Graham's just an asshole if he finds it. He fills the glass with Coke. Oh, shit. I didn't even think to ask what kind of soda. Oh, no. That's perfect. He pops a straw in it, and she sips it. So, Arenda. That's a very unusual and pretty name. Oh, (laughs) Thank you. It's Iroquois for great spiritual energy. You don't say. Your family's Iroquois? No, not at all, but that's a funny story. My mom and her whole family believed that they were until my mom did her DNA and found out she's zero American Indian. (laughs) No kidding. For real? Yeah. Her brother and sisters refused to believe it. I mean, it's DNA. Then they did their DNA, same results, still didn't believe it. 
I mean, come on. <laughs> Wait, you mean after they had the actual DNA results, they still believe they were Iroquois? Yeah. That's crazy. Some people. Well, I think Orenda's a nice name. Nicer than my first name. What? Hudson is a great name. Nice and strong. She feels odd having said this. Wishes she could take it back. I mean, it's like... Sounds strong, you know? Hudson's my last name. My first name is actually Ren. Like a bird? W-R-E-N? <laughs> now that'd be cool if I was named after a bird, but nah. I was named after Kevin Bacon's character in Footloose. No. You're kidding, right? For real? <laughs> Can't joke about that. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And here we are. <laughs> Six degrees. Cool. Amazing, isn't it? Are you messing with me because I'm new? I wouldn't do that to you. Ethan might, though. So, what kind of music does Orenda listen to, other than Queens of the Stone Age? Oh, um, I was listening to Thrice before I left the house. Wait, what? Thrice? Dude, I've seen them like a dozen times in Dallas, and then- Orenda, we've got guests pulling up. Coming! Thank you for the soda. Ren. She sets the soda on the counter. No problem. Go use that spiritual energy of yours, and we'll talk about your dope music taste later. I will, Mr. Footloose. When she turns away from him, she mouths, Mr. Footloose? Back at the front desk, Arenda enters. Jade gently pulls her to the desk. Zane Graham, early 30s, the dickish manager who runs a tight ship, is dressed uptight, prudish to a point. He's in full ass-kissing mode. He's shaking hands with Divage Jardine. Early 50s, short, condescending, and every fiber of his being exudes his wealth. The kind of man that wants you to know his stature in life. This is my girlfriend, Vicky. Vicky. Early 30s, pretty gold-digging airhead. Her body language borders between stripper and a demure woman. The relentless pursuit of one or the other. Hi, Zane. Nice to meet you. Again. Yes, I do remember you, Miss Vicky. Good to see you. Always a pleasure. Her finger accidentally traces her necklace along her breast. Unknowingly, Zane's eyes follow. He blinks to look away. And this is my second-in-command at our venture capitalist firm. He was just promoted. I don't believe you've met him yet, Zane. Can't say I have, sir. Zane extends his hand. Liam Walters, late 30s, the ultimate networker. His entire career has been spent finding who's asked to kiss next, and it has paid off. Underneath that, he is a good man to his attractive and fit wife, Kylie, mid-30s, who doesn't like Divaj but would never say that out loud. Liam Walters, Zane. And this is my wife, Kylie, the only one in the group that was afraid to come here this evening. Afraid? Why be afraid? I'm not a big fan of ghosts. It's not like they'll jump from the walls to get you, my dear. It's the mystique of this place that intrigues you. The history, the love, the deaths, and then the beauty of what has been restored here. It's more than just ghosts, Kylie. 
The walls can speak of horrors and beauty at the same time. I myself find history fascinating, good or bad. We learn from it either way. Kylie feels like she shouldn't have spoken at all. This causes her to take in a cleansing breath as she tries to hide that. Well, Kylie, will you be joining us on the tour this evening? I wanted to speak with you about that. I'll be taking the three of them on the tour this evening myself. I remember exactly where to go as the last time, and I can assure you, Zane, we will be fine. I, uh, you can't. It'll be fine, son. No worries. Liam, did I tell you that Zane has an economics degree? No, you had not. Not a hospitality degree? Interesting. Very interesting. Zane was brought into this establishment as a young man of 15 and moved up the ranks and still managed to go to college and get a degree while working here. It's time you sent me your resume, young man. Zane has forgotten all about his hesitation to the tour. Really? I would love that, sir. Devaj pulls out a business card and hands it to him, patting him on the back. Send it here. And please, take our suitcases to our room. We're going to have a drink and then I'll take them to the hospital. Devaj ushers his friends into the bar area. Zane looks back at the women. Don't look at me. I'm not lifting a suitcase. Not in my job description. Nor hers. Zane struggles getting them together. By the way, boss, isn't it against the rules to let anyone go in that building without an employee escort? I mean... He shoots her a look as he heads to the stairs, while Jade smirks. Did I say something to offend? Inside the bar, guests fill tables and the adjacent small restaurant area. Hudson polishes glasses and nods to Divaj. Talon is talking to Ethan. Talon, VIP at your table. Shit. I'm on it. Talon approaches the table and immediately notices Divaj look when he sees them. Talon doesn't give in to the negativity. Welcome to the B&B. I'm Talon. I'll be taking care of you today. Good to see you again, sir. What can I get you and your guests this fine evening? I'll have the strawberry margarita. No, wait. The skinny marg. No. Ah. Ooh, what about the Cosmo, Vicky? That sounds good, too. Infused with lemongrass. Ooh, sounds yummy. Oh my, everything looks so deliciously sexy. I can't make up my mind. Liam, how about you? I'll have what boss man's having. I trust his keen decision-making on this front. Have at, big man. Does your party need a few minutes to decide? Divaj looks Talon up and down, says nothing. Then... Hmm. Are you a boy or a girl? Excuse me, sir? Divaj won't look at Talon again. It's a simple question. Let me rephrase it. Were you born a boy or a girl? I believe what you're looking for is what I identify with, and... I... Give me a bottle of the 2016 Duckhorn. Two glasses. Make sure the glasses are clean, no lint, and tell the bartender not to pop the cork. He must ease it out of its carriage. And I would like the cork presented to me as well. Uh, yes, sir. And two Cosmos, please. 
One for me, one for her. I'm not drinking both. Yet. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Devosh's hand lands on the table hard. Yes, miss. She, she's a miss about your age, not ma'am. You should know the difference and direct it accordingly to the person you're trying to acknowledge and show respect. One should never address someone in the wrong manner. Could result in a poor tip. Talon catches a glimpse of Zane standing by a guest table watching them. They hold back, biting their disdain for this human. Yes, sir. My apologies, miss. Oh, don't take it to heart, sweetie. His bark is bigger than his bite. D. Be nice to the, uh, uh, server? See? Even you didn't know how to respond to... Anyway. Now, server, go to the front desk and retrieve our room keys. I haven't received them as yet. Yes, sir. He hands Talon the cocktail menus without regards to where they land. Talon leaves. Back at the front desk, Talon slams down the cocktail menus on the counter. My age, my ass. No way that bitch is in her 20s. What the hell has got you all upset? The VI penis. Oh shit. Again? I'm sorry. What did he say this time? What didn't he say? That fuck? Oh crap. I'm sorry, Talon. He sucks. He does. You know this. He sent me to get his keys, and he hands me the cocktail menu that's supposed to stay on the table. Even the way he does that is disgusting. Like, here, take this and leave my air. Short fuck. Jade finds the keys. Hudson joins them. Holy shit, that was brutal, T. I heard all of that. You okay? All of what? Hudson gives her that look. He asked you, no. Yes, and when I went to clarify that, he should be asking me what I identify with. He cuts me off doesn't look at me and orders like I don't exist. You do exist. Thanks for the clarification, new girl. Arenda feels horrible. She jumped into the conversation. I'm sure she meant that in a nice way. Go easy, T. Yeah, T, don't take it out on her. He's the douche. You need to hold your roll and chill out. Talon snatches the keys from Jade's hand and exits. I'm sorry I said something wrong. I didn't mean... You didn't say anything wrong. They're just upset because people can be so, so rude, you know? They? Yes. Talon identifies as they and them. I'm so glad I didn't say anything else to upset them. I gotta get back to the bar. Hudson looks Orenda directly in the eye, half smiles, then leaves. Jade's heart falls a little inside, and she hides it, then turns to Orenda with a good-for-you attitude. Holy crap, he does think you're cute. Who, me? No way. Outside on the street, Sean stops riding his bike, the hospital out of his view. He texts his mother. When will you be home tonight? He waits what seems like forever to him, showing his impatience then. Sean, I told you I picked up a night shift, so about 11.30 or so? Why? He takes a deep breath, then texts. What would you do if you saw two boys get their arms ripped off in the haunted hospital and tossed on the ground? The little bubble on the phone starts immediately. I'd tell you to stop watching horror movies. No, Mom. For real. Then call the cops, not me. 
I'll text you before I leave. He's in despair when his phone beeps with another text. Love you. More bubbles immediately. If it's just arms, they're still alive, so don't freak out. Movies make it seem like it's life-threatening. It's not if it's treated. They'll live, I'm sure. Turn the TV off. Keep the lights on. I'll be home soon. Love you, Boogaboo. Still alive? Now, Sean is deep in thought. Inside the Yorktown Hospital, Brad whimpers, waking Ace. They both writhe in pain. My fucking arm! Where is it? Me too, fucker! Me too! We have to go, man. Come on, let's get out of here before it comes back. Call 911! We have to leave, Ace! There's no signal! Let's go! Brad staggers to his feet. He pulls on Ace's good arm. A slippery voice full of murder whispers to them. Going somewhere, boy. <gasps> the boys spin around. They see nothing, looking in every direction. Now! Go! Run! I'm dying! Run! My fucking arm is gone! Come on! Brad runs in pain, pulling Ace along. They reach the darkened hallway, and a screech fills the air. Bouncing off the walls in all directions. The boys stumble down the hall. That slippery voice fills the space again. I want to play some more. Ace sprints with Brad tight by his side when suddenly their legs come out from under them, flipping them onto their backs. A hideous laugh echoes as the boys are dragged down the hall. Outside on the city street, Sean runs off the steps of a darkened home. His pants are changed. He jumps on his bike, pedaling hard. We fade to a little later inside the bar. Talon approaches Hudson. I need another 16 duck horn. Hudson pulls it from the rack behind him, dusts it off, and opens it, easing the cork out. Divaj walks up to the bar. Yeah, I'll take that, son. Two fresh glasses, please. We don't need glasses, boss. Us to carry. Smart choice. Just the bottle will do, son. Divaj group is behind him. The women are giddy with alcohol. He downs the wine left in his glass and sets it down. Ready? Of course, my man. Lead the way. I've been waiting for this for some time now. Hudson nods to Zane by the doorway as they approach him. Zane hands Divaj a flashlight and keys. Keep to the path. Stay the route we followed. Be Thank you. That is all. Please, Mr. Jardine, be careful. It's a very dangerous place without I may a- be short in stature, Zane. But if I stand on my wallet, I'm tall and strong. <laughs> <laughs> Zane shakes it off and heads to the restaurant. 
Back at the front desk, Jade is showing Arenda something on the computer. The group exits the front door behind them. Okay, so how would I do this then? Jade looks at the door, then back to Arenda, who hits a few keys, and then... That's it. You're good. You learn fast. The last girl constantly left the front to go flirt with Hudson. Really? What happened to her? I got her fired. She's not here to flirt. I mean, she can, just not when she's supposed to be mining the front, and she wasn't. That reminds me. Hang tight, I'll be right back. Oh, of course. Don't worry, you'll be fine. You can handle this. Two male guests from before enter the front desk area. Excuse me, miss. Can I ask you a few questions? She panics inside. Oh, of course. How can I help you? My husband is a huge ghost hunting fan, and we wanted to ask you about the ghosts that haunt this hotel and the hospital. Like, specifically where? Well, you've come to the right place. In fact, the room you're staying in, 223, has been known to have a ghostly presence being felt when you're in the bathroom, and distant voices, like whispers that you can't discern. If that doesn't chill you enough, in the hallway by your room, you can hear the disembodied voices, as well as those are more clear, like they drift down the hall past you. Arenda steps out from behind the desk, feeling good in this moment. Jade joins Zane behind Arenda, listening. This building was once an orphanage. If you take those stairs right there, they lead to a hallway where there's a fireplace and a little boy's ghost has been known to appear. Guests have said that he's wearing a red shirt and knickers. And he's definitely not from this time period. But many have reported the identical apparition several times. Like every detail. That's so scary. That is so cool. What about the abandoned hospital? Can we go there too? Yes, you can with reservations. There have been many hauntings reported there, but it's off limits to just go there. You have to sign up for a private tour. From what I understand, it's a dangerous place. A building in ruin and the guided tour keeps you away from the dangerous areas that are crumbling. But still takes you to the creepiest spots ghosts have been seen. How do we sign up for that? Oh. She reaches for a brochure on the desk. You email the general manager, Zane Graham. It's right here. There's an additional fee for that, though. Oh, that's not a problem. I'd be happy to pay for that. I believe there's room tomorrow on a tour. So, up these stairs, right here? Yes. Thank you so much for this. We appreciate it. Shall we? We shall. They playfully rush to the stairs. That was outstanding, Arenda. She turns surprised. I knew I did well hiring you. Nice job with that information. She's already got the computer down too. It's remarkable. She learned everything from the guide, like first time ever. You don't say. I do say, Graham. It's Mr. Graham or Zane. Whatever, Graham. Jane, could you... Uh, never mind. Zane leaves and Jade looks at Orenda deeply. You know, you have pretty eyes and a great shaped face. Have you ever worn makeup before? And wow, how long is your hair? Jade reaches up and releases Orenda's hair. It falls all around her, and it's beautiful. Wow. Hang on. Jade reaches for her purse under the counter. 
Outside of the abandoned hospital, Liam studies the light while Devosh uses the key to enter. The door creaks open, revealing a large foyer, plastered walls with pieces of it lying on the floor, and an adjacent stairwell. Its read is that of an old building. Gone are the remnants of the hospital it once was. An old office chair sits by itself, crooked and missing a roller. Dead leaves litter the floor. Random debris is spotted on the floors as well, as graffiti marks some of these walls. Where to, boss? Depends. Upstairs, dying old man's wretched ghost, dressed in a hospital gown, has been reported lingering in the hallway. Many have seen him. He stands there as if he is to say something to the viewer. But he does not. He softly fades away. I thought this was an old drug rehabilitation center. This was first opened as a hospital in the 50s and ran until 86. The nuns could no longer keep it viable since a brand new hospital opened across town. It was then sold, as Kylie said, and became a rehabilitation center. He moves the light around the building, the girls staying tight to each other. But we will get to that. There is many interesting ghosts here. Hmm. But there is also a much scarier part of the building that we are not supposed to be in. <laughs> we are not supposed to be in. Oh, we will get to that. When the time presents itself. Do you know the story of little Stacy, my good friend? Can't say I have. L Liam? I do not. I googled some information on this haunted hospital, but... I can't say I read anything about little Stacy. she a child, Dee? Yes, Liam. Uh, a child. Kylie looks around her unfamiliar space. She's unamused. She was a little girl that was sick and dying. Her room was right here on the first floor. He shines the light down the hallway. It seems so ominous, doesn't it? <sighs> this hallway of... Death. Mm. This disturbs Kylie. He walks down the hallway, and the group follows. Inside the patient room, Devosh stops at the door. He twists the handle and shoves it open. Garbage fills the door behind it. Such a mess. <sighs> Amazing what vandals do to such a historic building. There's a lot of history within these walls, isn't there? And the grounds. Liam removes some of the junk against the door for the women to enter. It's known that nearly 2,000 deaths have taken place here. Rumor is some of them have been buried here. Wow. That's a lot of dead people. I tell you. Let's see if we can find one of them, hmm? What's next, Devaj? A Ouija board? You know you're not supposed to play with those things, right? He smirks and pulls from his jacket a child's book titled Pokey Little Pony. 
Little Stacy loved this book. It is said she would have the nuns read this to her again and again, each night before bed. When her poor little body gave in to death, well, you see, she haunts these walls to this day. It is said, if you read this book aloud, Don't she will... Don't say it. Please. We all know. It is said, if you read it, you can possibly get the ghost of little Stacy to appear. She appears as a shell of the human she once was. Five little puppies dug a hole under a fence and went for a walk in the wide, wide world. His smile is almost hideous as light from the moon catches his gaze. Back at the front desk, Jade is putting makeup on Orenda. She finishes. She releases Orenda's hair and fluffs it, stepping back. Nice. Hudson enters unnoticed. It startles Orenda. Wow. Told ya! Jade turns to Hudson, wishing he had said this about her. She hides her true feelings. I thought you'd agree. She looks at how he sees Orenda, and it tugs at her heartbreak. Really? Can I... Oh, here. Look. Jade reaches in her own purse, retrieving a compact mirror. Jade watches Hudson's reaction. Oh, by the way, uh, I gave Jardine another 2016 duck horn, but Talon closed the check before I rang it in. Can you add it to his room? Huh? That's why I came up here. No problem, but you know you can do that on your computer, right? You don't have to come all the way up here. Nice, huh? The wine? Yeah, it's like $400 a pop. Not the wine, silly! It looks really good, Jade. Jade types on the computer. It does. Okay. Uh, gotta go get back to the bar. Y'all. Jade turns to Arenda. Suddenly his accent returns? That boy is smitten. Arenda's new confident smile looks good on her. Jade watches Hudson exit. You know, you should pay attention to how he sees you. He's a good catch. You'd make a cute couple. He can't. He's, like, gorgeous. I know. All the girls know. Just enjoy it and get some. Orenda's mouth drops open. You look so pretty. I see it now. Outside of the broken window, Sean's movements are cautious and nerve-wracked. He makes his way up to the window and peers in with the light from his phone. He moves it around the room, locating the blood area of the limbs being removed to the doorway's bloody drag marks. So they did get out. Sean walks to the area where the boys' bikes still sit. Maybe they just ran for help? A scream from inside jars him. He runs for his bike and speeds off. Inside the patient's room, Liam has just scared Kylie. She hits him. 
He hugs and kisses her. Divaj hands him the bottle as he drinks. All kidding aside, now let's move on. Just outside this door and down this hall, the ghost of Doug Richards has been seen. The man died at this hospital in 73 after suffering a gruesome injury on the job. And in the basement, there is a horrific double homicide and suicide. What is more frightening are the ghosts of the nuns that used to run this hospital. If they see you, they'll try to scratch or choke you. And if that doesn't work, their spirits will rush you and chase you away. He gives Kylie a scary look. Do you dare venture another step into the hospital from hell? You don't scare me anymore, Divaj. She exits the room but steps back in. But just in case, I'll wait for the flashlight in the hall. <laughs> Inside the bar later, it has emptied out as Jade and Arenda join Hudson and Talon at the bar. So, what'd you think of your first day? So much better than doing all the training online and reading. Definitely more fun and exciting to actually do it. Talon notices the makeup when she's talking. What happened to your face? Oh, um, Jade put makeup on me. Why? You don't need it. Hudson shows Arenda a bottle of wine and a glass. Oh, sure. She doesn't need makeup. You're right, Talon. It simply enhances what was already there in hiding. How the fuck is her face hiding? What the fuck does that even mean? Talon, you can let go of the attitude. Jardine isn't here anymore. Don't attack me for him being the dick that he is. Who's attacking you? I'm making a simple observation. I have the right to voice an opinion just as you had the right to put that shit on her face. Talon! You came at me! Bullshit! You came at me first! Guys! They stop. Ethan enters. Just let it go. Looks like I missed the goods. Who won? I no did. one. Guys, Jesus! Well, anyway, stocking is done. So, Zane buckled and let that dude go there on his own, huh? That's some shit. He didn't buckle. He's kissing ass. That's very different. Yeah, he told Zane to send him his resume, gave him his card to do it. Finally, we'll get a new manager. Be careful what you ask for, T. You never know what you'll get in this place. I vote for Jade for manager. Aw, Ethan! Now Zane enters. HUD! I just saw Jardine's flashlight start to enter the Forbidden Zone. Are you going after him? You're the manager that let him go in there. I don't think I should. He'll be fine, but keep a lookout. He shouldn't get hurt in any way. So... You think? We can only hope otherwise. Like falling through a hole in the floor or... There's still people, T. Sue me. Another, please. Zane nods for Hudson to make the drink. I'll be in my office. Text me if you don't see them in 15 or so. Okay? Hudson nods to him as he exits. What's the forbidden zone? Sounds bad. It's... The other half of the building that's a little more... Messed up? Like the floors have holes? Bad shit has been said to happen there in the past. Like they found a dead body there. Wait! Bodies! Found fucking dead bodies not that long ago. No, some homeless person trespassed and died. That's all. You don't know that. He could have been killed. You don't know otherwise, now do you? 
again, plural, bodies. There was that couple, the homeless dude, a kid? Again, bodies. I'm surprised you know what plural means. Ethan makes an obscene gesture. T, it was in the papers. They couldn't rule it natural how he died. Anyway, uh, the ghost of the mother superior that disappeared has been seen there too, and little kid ghost as well. Arenda perks up. Oh, I know the story about the mother superior very well. Oh, do you now? Yeah, first-hand account. I'm hoping to one day become a tour guide there. What? Wait, like how do you have a first-hand account? How? My aunt. She was a patient there in the 80s. A nut patient? So you have crazy people in your family. Nice. Now I like you. She was sick, but not that kind of sick. And she told me the whole story. How it happened. Their attention is drawn to Arenda. Outside of the abandoned hospital, the giggling women fall behind the men. He stops before entering another extension of the hallway, sliding the flashlight up under his chin. The women fall into each other with a drunken laugh. <laughs> Inside the bar, Arenda commands the floor. So, in early 1986, a new nun, Sister Rosemary, had begun to work at the hospital. She was young, beautiful, kind, everything Mother Superior wasn't. People were drawn to her. My Aunt Catherine, too. She loved Sister Rosemary. But by the fall, Sister Rosemary was dead, along with two men. One was Joseph, a doctor at the hospital, and her lover, a forbidden love. But shortly before her passing, she was going to give up her vows for him. It was so sad. The other person was just a maintenance worker that was caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. You see, Mother Superior, whose name was Mary Elizabeth, was in love with Joseph. But he didn't want her. She was a rough and unkind woman. The rumor is Mother Superior killed Sister Rosemary and Joseph in the basement. The maintenance worker heard the shots, came running, and the Mother Superior killed him too. No witnesses, you know. She told the police it was a lover's triangle. And they believed her? Just like that? They did believe her, especially after the love affair was confirmed. Yeah, I believe that shit. Nuns, especially a mother superior, would hold a lot of weight in the community back then. And now. She disgraced the memory of Sister Rosemary saying she was sleeping with both men. But she was just simply in love with one man and murdered for it. So that's it? I've heard that before, and it's never been substantiated. But have you heard of how... Mother Superior died. Ah, got you. She didn't die, she disappeared. What? No. Wait, you know how she disappeared? Or the why, really? Wait, what exactly do you know? Spill it, new girl. Don't keep us in suspense. Like, talk, now. Then I'll tell you if I believe you or not. Back inside the Yorktown Hospital, Divaj leads them down a hallway to another room. He stops. 
You see, Mother Superior did not disappear that night. She was murdered here in this room. He pushes the door open. The door opening reveals an old, dusty office. It fades into 1986, the room no longer dusty. Mother Superior, late 50s, sits behind her desk, rummaging through some papers. The scowl on her face tells us who she is, a demanding, impatient, controlling, and highly dissatisfied woman. Her annoyance with the quality of paperwork from others is palpable. How can these women be nurses and not be able to spell simple words? Old-time music plays on a vintage radio. The door to her office creaks open and two large men, orderlies, and a woman, Catherine, thirties, enter. Catherine. One of the orderlies locks the door behind him, standing guard. What? What is this about? Unlock that door immediately and stand away. They do not move. Unlock that door. Now. I demand it. As she rises from her chair, Catherine approaches the desk and slides across a photo of Sister Rosemary. Look familiar? She looks down. Then her gaze rises to Catherine. Everyone dies, Catherine. An eye for an eye, then. What is this about? I don't have time for this nonsense. Catherine places a finger on the photo and slides it closer to her. That is quite enough. Leave now or I shall call security to remove all of you. She reaches for the phone, sitting on her desk. Now, gentlemen. The two men rush Mother Superior, each grabbing an arm. Unhand me, you brutes! I'll have none of this! Catherine hangs up the phone. They drag her to the center of the room, pinning her back to the floor. Stop this now! Catherine walks up to her and rips off her headpiece, collar, and pulls scissors out of her hospital gown. She cuts the habit, removing it. That is far enough. You you will go to jail. Stop this now! She leaves her in a simple beige nightgown she wore underneath her habit. You don't deserve to wear this sacred garment. You were never worthy of this. Catherine pulls out tape from her gown, and tapes Mother Superior's mouth shut. You are a disgrace to all that is holy. She mumbles with disdain. Catherine burns incense, and in a small bowl next to it, she places a cross that was worn by Sister Rosemary. She pulls out dried herbs, places them on top of the cross, and lights them from the incense. They burn slowly. Catherine pulls a small Bible out. Mother Superior struggles against her captors. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The flame gets high, then dissolves into ash. Catherine uses a piece of the habit to remove the cross. She places it on Mother Superior's forehead. She mumbles in pain. The earth of this building shall hide you. The salt shall surround you. The ash shall fortify my words. Catherine raises the scissors above her head. Mother Superior tries to be freed from her captors. 
Your ghost shall never leave this place by entering a single person, by the spirit of an individual that lets you in, or possession of a soul, and your spirit cannot leave on its own. You will be bound to this building. You will rot here between this wood, between this concrete stone and earth. I banish you to this fate forever! Catherine begins to stab Mother Superior repeatedly in the heart. Blood squirts across the men's hands and Catherine's face. Gurgling moaning emanates from the tape. She keeps stabbing her until she can no longer do that, then sits back. Catherine smears the blood on her face, trying to remove it. They watch Mother Superior's eyes bulge, blink, and race side to side. The horrifying realization running across that woman's face. Her eye movement begins to slow, and the eye blink becomes half-closed, resting. It is done, gentlemen. God has thanked you for the truth. Catherine stands up as a life fades from the nun, and bloody hands release their grasp of her. Fading back to current day in the same room, Divaj stands in the center. Right here, on this spot, is where she plunged the scissors into her heart, as I told you. Right here, she took her last breath, cursed to spend eternity here. Creepy story. How do you know that? That they killed her and cursed her? I looked over the brochure. I didn't see that. At all. My dear, hmm. there were three witnesses that night. People talk. And they all will talk for the right amount of money. If they are still alive. No shit, boss. Damn. Really? So, what did they do with the body? They buried it in the basement. That's the rumor. Unfortunately, I could not glean that information from the old man who was once the orderly here. So you paid him, but you didn't report him? Did I understand that correctly? You have information on a murder and- My dear, it has been- Has anyone seen her ghost? The Mother Superior, that is. Divaj glares at her. Rumor is the other nun's ghosts try to scare you off. Her body will never be found. Okay, all of this is really creepy now. So, are we done? Can we go now? What? You don't want to see? Wait, Liam. Wait. I've got some proof for your wife. Something she can't dispatch. Divaj walks to the far wall. He points his flashlight on a photo that is permanently affixed to the wall. See this? They join him and lean in for a better look. Kylie gasps and steps back. (gasps) Holy shit! That's her, isn't it? Mother Superior Mary Elizabeth Farley. 1934 to... There's no end date. That's because they never found... The door begins to creak closed, but stops. What the fuck was that? Kai, F-bombs, really? What? Am I the only one freaked out by this? Isn't that why we came here, my dear? A gust of cold air rushes past them. You ready to go, girl? Because I am. That cold air just cut right through me. 
Yes, let's go. Boss? The door creaks again. That's it? I'm out. The women walk to the door, pushing it open, afraid of what it might actually do. In the hallway, the men walk behind the women, laughing, choking each other. Then... Wait. I forgot the child's book in the room. Take this left. Do we all have to go? I I mean... Baby, can we stay here and wait for you? Suit yourself. I've got the flashlight. He walks away, joined by Liam. As the darkness seeps around the women, they reluctantly follow their men. Another blast of cold air rushes past them, almost splitting their arm lock. Holy crap! What was that? Kylie nods. Me too. Both Kylie and Vicky rush to be by their men's side. Further down the hall, they see a white mist forming. Stop! Did you see that? The flashlight doesn't find its mark. He points it to the floor, allowing the mist to be seen. What? What is that? (sighs) Ectoplasm. The shape of two nuns appear within the confines of this mist. Their heads are down, hands clasped in front of them as they drift towards the group. The ghosts appear knees up. Their float is haunting as they mumble. They drift closer. The group is in awe. As the nuns inch down the hallway, they lift their heads, screech, and rush towards them. Devosh holds their group together, standing their ground, his arms stretched out in protection. The nun's terror did not work. The ghostly figures float past them. Devosh's one arm has scratches on it. Did you see that? Look! Look! Fucking amazing! The women are scared. The men elated. Collectively, they enjoyed the terrifying moment. Excited from this, the group enters the patient's room to retrieve the little girl's book. Regardless of the recent event, their beat has picked up. Inside the patient's room, Kylie stays by the door with Liam. Looking back over her shoulder, she sees another man ghostly float down the hallway. It is shaking its head in disapproval of the people in the building. Horrified, she puts her hand over her mouth. Tears stream down her face. She falls back into a wall, away from the vision, carefully making sure the ghost has vanished. I want to go now. I'm done. This is too terrifying. Please, can we just... The black mist begins forming near Devosh while he retrieves the book he left on an old chair. He raises his head gradually to view it. This, Vicky steps back. This Not again. St- st- stunning. The mist rises in and out of depth, swaying back and forth. 
Then it begins to form a torso, then legs of a woman. A beige nightgown falls through the black mist covering her legs. It weaves in and out with the black mist. The darkness moves forward. A woman's body twists and turns as if it's trying to pull itself out of the thick of it. A face begins to form with ashen skin. Black veins streak across its face, a scar of the cross in her forehead. Scraggly, long black hair falls around and she twists to be free. Her face becomes more decayed. She stretches dead, rotting arms outward with long, jagged, blackened nails as she tries to be released from the thick black mist. The ghost's face is evil and shows the joy of the moment in terrifying them. Bloody marks begin to peer over her heart, seeping through the beige gown. The ghost looks upon the blood marks and screeches at the sight of it, the wail of a dying animal. She stretches her head upward and a habit begins to form in the ghost, but the beige dress takes over again. This upsets the ghost. The ghost's head snaps to the group. They gasp, taking a step back. She opens her mouth of blackness with glistening, rotting, sharp teeth. Just a piece. She lunges for Devosh, knocking him down, digging those jagged nails in his hip and ripping off his right leg. She digs her head down and lurches it up, screeching. Her hideous face divine with murderous joy. Devosh screams out in horror. Liam runs to help his friend, grabbing him by his shoulders to pull him as Vicky screams, falling back. She knocks Liam off his feet, giving the ghost time to sink her sharp nails into Liam's left leg, ripping it off with a furious yank. Kylie runs for the door. Vicky scrambles backward in horror. The ghost's head turns quick to Kylie, but she makes it out into the hallway. The door slams. Her head whips to Vicky. The men, eyes wide with fear, are bleeding out, gasping for air. Her ghostly hand with those long black nails slashes Devaj across the face. His head bounces off the ground like a ping-pong ball. Blood sprays. The black mist encasing the ghost moves across the floor to Vicky. She freezes. The ghost's head tilts and creepily dances, looking about Vicky's head. Vicky whimpers, frozen, not knowing what to do. Pretty little head you have, my dear. Vicky takes a slow step back. Fresh tears pool in her eyes. The ghost rails her head upward, then slams both hands against Vicky's head, screeching as she twists and turns. Vicky screams out in pain, trying to release the ghost's grasp. Those jagged nails dig into Vicky's neck. Through the struggle, she screams out in pain, fighting furiously at the ghostly hands. The ghost rips off Vicky's head with several more excruciating twists and lifts her head to its own face. A contact lens lays on Vicky's cheek. The ghost tilts its head with its blackened, jagged nails, touches the contact. Liam's eyes are wide as his life slips away from his body. He is unable to move. The door opens, slamming against the wall. (laughs) 
out in the hallway, Kylie runs crying, gasping, choking on her own saliva, looking back over her shoulder. She hears the door slam open. Kylie looks behind her, then sees a door with a glass window across the hall. Carefully, she opens the door. She moves in the room, headed towards the exterior window. When something brushes her shoulder, she freezes. Just her eyes move to the side. It's a rope. She turns to the rope that just appeared and looks around her surroundings. She touches the large rope and looks up. It goes nowhere, not hanging on anything above her. Kylie moves her head side to side, looking at the end of the rope that hangs below the ceiling. She takes a step back. The black mist forms at the top of the rope. The ghost of Mother Superior appears, and she's in the mist. She slithers her way down the rope to Kylie. She stops just a few feet before reaching her. Kylie takes another step back when a long black tongue comes out of the ghost's mouth and pierces Kylie's eye, removing it. Kylie stumbles backwards, screaming out in horror. The ghost reaches out, hitting her in the head. Kylie falls back onto the floor. She screams in terror when the ghost stands over her with a blackened, rotting foot, crushing Kylie's chest as she lays dying. The ghost hovers, removing Kylie's good eye, keeping it intact. Back inside the bar, Arenda has their undivided attention. My aunt cursed her wretched soul to never leave that place by her body being discovered, by her ghost possessing another human, or even for her spirit to leave the building. She told me she did that because she didn't want her evil in the world. You know that makes your aunt a murderer, right? Orenda takes a moment. Unfortunately, I do know that. It's why she committed suicide. She couldn't live with what she did. Wait, so you're telling us this now? Do the police know this? No one ever believed the story. Just more rumors. But I believe Catherine. I still do. They didn't believe her because they thought she was nuts. Just saying. What about the orderlies? What happened to them? I don't know. I never looked into it, but they could still be alive, I guess. Zane nervously enters. Hey, Ethan, could you go check on them, please? Just, just tell them it's time to close down the building. Me? What? Why? Dude, I don't get paid enough for extra shit. Ethan, now. Whatever, man. Gotta clean up your mess. What was that? Nothing, man. Headed there now. I'll be in my office. Text me, okay? Got it. Ethan leaves. So, Renda. You ever been in the hospital? Can't say I have. It slaps. So fucking scary. And if you don't see anything, it's such a large place that you feel like there's something there. Deep in the darkness. You know? Fucking scary. Outside of the B&B, Ethan walks across the street up to the hospital when he hears something move in the bush. He takes a step back and looks. The bush moves. He kicks at it, and Sean falls out. What the fuck, little dude? 
What are you doing in there? My... My... My friends went inside and they haven't come out. Your friends with Devaj Jardine? That guy? What? No. Ace and Brad. They went in before it got dark. Well, none of you should be in there. Sean puts his head down and gets up to leave. Disappointment fills his face. Okay, this one time, you can come with me. I gotta look for this douchebag and his friends. I'll look for your friends, too. Is that douchebag guy, that Devaj guy? Ethan laughs. <laughs> yeah, man. That's him. Come on. As the boys enter the hospital, Ethan cups his hand around his mouth and yells out, Devaj! Time to go, man! Zane sent me to get y'all. Sean looks around for signs of Ace and Brad. What's your friend's names, little dude? Ace and Brad. Ace? That totally sounds like a douchebag. Douchebag. <laughs> You're all right, my man. Sean smiles. He hits his vape. Want some? Uh, no thank you. I don't smoke. You will one day. Trust me on that. Okay, dickhead went this way. Follow me. Ethan pulls out his phone and turns on the flashlight. Further down the hallway, they notice bloody drag marks. What the fuck is that? Shit. Ethan texts, his flashlight illuminating the bloody marks. I saw the ghost rip their arms off. Hang on a second, man. Hold that thought. Ethan keeps texting. Back inside the bar, Hudson looks at his phone. Son of a bitch. What's up? Look at the group text. Zane bursts into the room. Did you see that fucking text? Their phones beep, showing a photo of the bloody drag marks. Zane holds up his phone. This isn't fucking funny. Zane, bro, calm down. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation. His anger is rising. You guys are fucking with me, aren't you? Who set this up? You? No one wants to fuck with you, Zane. Believe me when I say that. And no, it wasn't me. Let's go. Now. All of you. Like, why me? And me? It's not my job. Zane's look tells them his mood. He grabs a flashlight and motions for them to go ahead of him. Your game, aren't you? Oh, to go? Yeah. I am. Back inside the hospital... Ethan lifts his lights, following the drag marks down the hallway. What the... What the fuck is that? A white mist forms in the middle of the hallway. It dances as if wind is pulling and pushing at it. I heard about the mist, but I've never seen it. Like there's nuns in it and shit. Appearing within the edges of this mist is Mother Superior, dressed in that beige gown. Her head is down. What? What is it? I don't know. Stand back. Ethan takes a step back. Mother Superior becomes more visible, a vision of herself the day she died. The mist goes deep black and becomes more aggressive as it begins to pulsate. She's... She's smiling. For real? Are you sure? Look! The mist moves down the hall. More of her body appears within it. The blood starts pooling around her heart, seeping through the gown. She looks down at it, then at the boys with a sad face. Holy crap! 
First time I've ever seen a fucking ghost. Holy shit. Ethan and Sean stand frozen when she flies down the hall up to Ethan, her nails digging in his shoulder, ripping off an arm. Ethan looks down, surprised by his lack of a limb. Blood spurts out. Her face now the hideous version of the evil that prevails within her rotting soul. Ethan screams out. More blood sprays off of him. He looks at Sean. Ethan takes a step back to join Sean, who bolts, but the ghost slaps him in the head, smashing his head against the wall. She pushes and pushes until it cracks. She turns her attention to Sean as she screeches. He turns to see her as she flies down the hall and grabs him by the back of the shirt, lifting him off the ground. The death on her face is too gross to bear. Sean looks away. She sniffs him, looks him over. Her glistening, rotten teeth dripping with slime get closer to Sean's face. He's terrified, trying not to look at her. He trembles. With her free hand, she commands a door to open. It's a broom closet. She throws Sean in there, and the door slams shut. He screams as he hits the wall. She floats back down the hall to Ethan's limp body and drags the bleeding corpse down the hallway. Inside the closet, Sean breathes erratically, taking out an inhaler from his pocket, listening for noises outside, looking all around him with wild eyes. The dragging dissipates. He tries the door handle. It doesn't budge. Just outside of the bar, Zane walks ahead of the group as boss, but scared and hiding it well. I I should call the cops. Shouldn't I? I should. Calm your titties. Ain't nobody dead in there. It could be an animal for all we know, or more than likely that short fuck is screwing with you. Just, just let it go. I knew I shouldn't have. Ah! They hear Sean's scream. They rush to the stairs of the hospital. Zane's nervous hands fumble with the door handle. Moments later inside the hospital, the group enters more curious than scared, but Zane's eyes bulge, unlike the others. They pop with purpose. Okay, we stay together. The flashlight illuminates the halls well. He stops looks at the photo Ethan sent, then... This way. Talon is thoroughly annoyed with his theatrical reaction. Your eyes are going to fall out of your head. Calm down. It's just a building with ghost stories. They reach the bloody drag marks. Ethan's phone lies in the fresh blood. He dials his phone, then looks at the group. I'm calling the cops. I definitely didn't have enough wine to deal with this. No signal. No shit. No one has ever gotten a signal in here. It's an old fucking building. Let's go outside and call the bo- Zane stops the group from progressing with both arms stretched out. Stop. Look around for a weapon. Any kind of weapon. This could be some crazed killer on the loose. Talon smirks. Zane isn't pleased. He shines his flashlight in a room next to them. He enters the room and they follow looking for anything to become a device for their safety. Talon pulls out a loose metal chair leg. It gives. Jade uses the light from her phone to find a crowbar by a broken window. Holy shit! Score! Good job. She swings it in the air a few times. Get hit with this fucker and it lights out. Yep, the wine's kicking in. Zane tugs at another chair leg. Talon pushes him aside, grunts, then rips off the leg. Ugh! 
Talon hands it to Zane. Thanks. Yeah, it wasn't a problem. For me. Zane heads to the door. They came in. Hudson and Arenda are at a closet. She pulls out a long ruler. What you got there? So far this. Jade shines her phone in the closet. Oh look! You two can find something in there. She points. Hudson and Arenda enter and she pushes the door closed using a chair to shut it. They can see through the small window. What the hell are you doing? Giving you seven minutes in heaven? (laughs) I'll be back when this stupid shit is over. You don't need to be around for this. Have fun, you two. Jade, open the door. Jade? Hey! Talon peeks their head back in the room. What the fuck, Jade? Oh, we'll be back in a few minutes. That's so seventh grade. I can't even. Come on. Talon shrugs their shoulders as Jade leads them out. Zane has walked down the hall further. Inside the closet, Hudson puts on his cell phone light. You okay? I'm fine. She can be a child sometimes. I'm I'm sorry. You shouldn't. It's not a big deal. See? We use this to push the chair leg out. That's all. Good idea. He starts working on the chair leg underneath the door. You know, Jade doesn't think that this is real, but that blood was downright convincing, wasn't it? Or is it just me? I've been going to college uh, for nursing and- You're kidding. That's a great field to get into. It is, yeah, it pays well. Uh, And one thing Mm -hmm. I can tell you is- He turns back to her. It looked like real blood to me. I mean, they could have bought real blood and smeared it. The dude is rich, but something is up. He now turns back to the chair leg outside of the door, pushing the long ruler out, jabbing it repeatedly. The chair grunts with small movements. She eyes his masculinity. In the hallway, Zane is nervous as he approaches and follows the blood trail. It's quite noticeable. The others in the group, well, their following is hesitant. Talon and Jade motion each other as if to say they're unsure about what's going on. Talon tries to get a signal on their phone dialing 911. Nothing. They show Jade. Look! There! More drag marks from that room. They all go down to... His flashlight finds the wooden doors marked Chapel. Further down the hall. He looks back at the girls, then back at the door. I dare say that's where they end. Now he turns back to the girls. Do we leave or do we... Where the fuck is the new girl in Hudson? (laughs) Detained? Jesus Christ, whatever. Do we go in there or do we... Zane, that's the answer to the question. Where do they go? The drag marks. Now we know. We open the door and... uh. I'll admit it's pretty freaky shit, but I'll go. I still think this is all set up. You really think that? Yeah, it seems too easy. He goes alone with his friends. All this shit takes place. Nothing like this has ever happened. He's setting you up. Zane faces the hallway to the chapel. Okay, I'm going. Talon smirks, but follows. As Zane approaches the door, his hands shake, opening it. They all step inside. Inside the chapel, Zane's entrance is cautious. There are people sitting in the pews, facing the altar. He shines his light across the back of their heads, 
Talon and Jade follow behind him, holding their weapons. That looks like the back of Devosh's head. Yeah, and there's Ethan's head. Hello? Devaj? Is that you? Hello? The people do not move. Talon pushes Zane to move further up. A bit reluctant, he does move forward. Ethan? Miss Vicky? Is that... Is that Mr. Liam? Is that you? Zane's flashlight moves about the people and lands at the altar. What? What is that? It looks like body parts. Like bloody body parts. What in the fucking hell? Zane moves closer, cresting the first person sitting in one of the pews. He bends to look, shining his flashlight on Ace sitting next to Brad. Their mouths gaped open. Blood-filled shirts give way to their horrific injuries. Zane takes a deep breath in and heads back to Jade and Talon, keeping his flashlight shining at the bodies in the pews and the pile of body parts. Okay, don't freak out, but this is real. Slowly back out of the room. Be quiet in case the killer is still- Killer? Did you say killer? He turns to face her. He puts his free hand over her mouth when the door they came in slams shut, blocked by the nicer version of Mother Superior. The mist forms around her in softness. It throws them off when they see her. They do not run. The three of them take a step back. Her voice is soft. It's not alarming. My, my, my. I see they pray, my disciples. Mother Superior eyes Jade up and down. Instinctively, Jade crosses her arms to cover her body. The black mist forms around Mother Superior. Mother Superior's evil voice trickles out in words. What strong arms you have, young man. She gets closer to the group. And when she does, she changes into the hideous evil that truly is Mother Superior. She reaches for Zane's arm holding the flashlight, drives her nails into his shoulder, and with a foot, pushes him hard, ripping his arm out of his socket and slamming his head into a pew, knocking him out. Mother Superior takes the chair leg and jams it through his throat. Fuck. Talon comes out swinging with the chair leg, screaming with guts and glory. Their swings are forceful. The ghost pulls back, then lunges, grabbing Talon by the throat. She sniffs them. Talon tries to hit the ghost. Talon's hands find the grip of the ghost and tries to break it. Jade tries the door. It won't open. She turns back to the ghost, holding Talon by the throat, and comes out swinging. The crowbar flies through the ghost, causing Jade to fly face first into the floor. The tire iron slides across the floor. Mother Superior looks down at Jade and then back at Talon, struggling for breath. Talon's eyes roll back. They are fading. The ghost tosses Talon like a rag doll to the ground, her slippery voice filling the room. There's something rotten about this one. But you... Her ghostly form flows over Jade as she rolls over onto her back trying to get away from the ghost. You something to behold. The piece of you I need is lovely, my dear. Jade scrambles back looking for the tire iron. There's nowhere for you to go, my dear. 
She eyed Jade's body hovering above her. What a love to torso you will give me. What the fuck? Mother Superior flies at Jade as body parts go flying around the chapel. Her beautiful blonde hair rolling away with her beautiful head. Inside the closet, Hudson works on the bottom of the door. Arenda holds his phone, shining the light. Almost got it. The chair leg scrapes against the floor once again. He looks up at Arenda. Man, I'm gonna kick her ass when I get out of here. She said she'd be right back. Arenda removes her uniform bandana and wipes the sweat from Hudson's brow. He smiles warmly, gets back to the door. The chair finally gives way. Hudson stands up. He towers over Arenda. You ready to go kick her ass? Yeah, but this first. Otherwise, it's not seven minutes in heaven. He bends down and kisses her softly, and she smiles. You know, I know I've only known you for one day, but I feel like I've known you for years. Arenda blushes. I, uh... Yes. Same. He bends to kiss her again. She kisses him back and smiles. Then shows her shyness. He thinks it's cute. <laughs> Ladies first. He opens the door handle for her. Now, let's go see what this is all about. As they walk out, he holds her hand. Inside the hallway, using the flashlight of his phone, Hudson and Arenda arrive at the blood smears. They notice Ethan's phone in the blood. That's Ethan's phone. Fuck. Fuck. Arenda bends as to lift it from the pooled blood. Don't do that. If this is real blood, then this is a crime scene now. Oh, shoot. You're right. We don't have any weapons. Zane? Jade? Talon? Come on, where are you guys? He uses his phone to group text. They hear beeps in the distance. I'm gonna go check it out. You stay here. I'm not staying here alone. Then leave. Go call for help outside. You'll get a signal there. I'm not leaving you either. Okay. We go up to where the drag marks are. I text the group again, and then... Wait! If the text went through, then we should have a signal now. Why can't I make a call, but they can get texts? She pulls out her phone. The texts beep again down the hall. They turn to the chapel. Hudson takes a deep breath and walks towards the two doors of the chapel. Once they arrive at the doors, they look down. The bloody drag marks lie beyond these doors. Light from inside leaks out under the door frame. He looks at Arenda, then back at the door. Stay here, got it? Let me go in alone. She nods. He reaches for the handle on one door, turning it slow. Inside the chapel, Hudson's entrance is gradual. His head peeks in first, then he looks side to side, spotting the flashlight on the floor lying close to the door. He steps inside and picks it up. The darkness of the room is illuminated by the flashlight as it bounces around. He notices the people sitting in the pews. What in the holy fuck? Arenda enters behind him. He turns to her. Do you see this? Yes. What are they doing? Hello? This is freaky. No one moves. Hello, anyone? He moves the flashlight on the floor. Oh my god, Hudson. Your hand? Blood from the flashlight is on his palm. It's not mine. It's from the light. They hear an odd noise from the altar area. He looks at the flashlight, 
then shines the light around the pews. Talon? That's that's Talon, isn't it? Talon? Talon? Hey, you okay? Talon doesn't move. Hudson shines the light on the floor as he moves onto the room, step by step. Blood is all around him. He slips, steadying himself, and then his breathing changes. Hudson puts his hand back, stopping Arenda just beyond the door. This is some fucked up shit. Stay there. He moves the light around the multitude of bodies sitting in the pews. He passes the altar. Body parts lie on the floor. Oh my god, Hudson. Look. I am. No. Go back on the altar with the light. The door behind them slowly creaks closed, but their attention is fixed to the altar. Hudson moves the flashlight back. Mother Superior sits at the altar. The black mist billowing around her. Body parts abound on the altar. She is the darkest, most evil we have seen her. She has assembled the body parts in a human shape. She is sewing a leg into the bloody torso of Jade. What the fuck is that? The fishing line shines in the light. It's your future, dear boy. My what? Hudson. No. Let's leave. I have a bad feeling about this. Excuse me, I'm talking to you. Hudson, this is bad. He steps forward. T? T, let's go. Hudson reaches for Talon. They flop lifeless forward. He backs off. She sews, tilting her head towards him, those glistening black rotted teeth dripping with slime. For a moment, he backs down, but he feels he needs to step up in this moment. Mother Superior pulls the threading through the flesh with rotting hands and jagged nails, tightening it. Her voice slithers with venom. Well, you're a little late to the party. I already have my pieces, and... uh... You do seem indigent, hollow. I won't need you. I'm what? What did you call me? Hudson, look what she's doing. Please, let's leave. Stop taking the bait. Arenda reaches for the door handle. It doesn't budge. Going somewhere, my dear, and so soon. You shouldn't leave without your potting. Gifts. Hudson, it's locked. Listen, whatever you're doing, stop. He lifts his phone. I've already called the police. You won't fucking scare me, you old bitch. Catch a nerve, did I? Did you what? No, not at all. Stop what you're- I've ruined better than you, young man. Her gaze fixes on Arenda. Your thick legs would have done fine, but I can only use one. One piece of each of you. One piece of what? Hudson, let's go! She drops the needle deliberately in the silence and Arenda thinks she can hear it and reacts. (gasps) That's a nerve you, my dear. Hudson! She pulls him back towards the door. For years I've tried to break this curse. We cut to a flashback ten years earlier. A drunk, homeless man stumbles through the hallway of the abandoned hospital, flopping down against a wall. His bottle rolls away as he passes out. I've tried leaving here as I possess the body of a homeless man. Mother Superior appears before the man. 
and seamlessly eases into the man's body. Now possessed, he pops up with vigor, moving towards the exit. Once I got to the exit to be free, finally free, I lurched forward. The homeless man's body walks through the front door, but Mother Superior's spirit pops out of his body and lands on the floor of the hospital. I fell back in, a victim of my death curse. The homeless man comes to outside, then walks back in the hospital. Furious, Mother Superior picks him up like a rag doll and slams him against the nearest wall. Inside the chapel, Mother Superior holds up a scary finger. That stupid man came in, so he met his demise. But I wasn't done. I found a young couple here. I killed the young woman and possessed the body. But again, the curse prevailed. Then I tried fitting in this young man's body. Not a possession, but like a suit. I still couldn't leave that damned curse holding me in. He was no good to me as I beat him from inside. You're going to hell! We've called the police! She picks up the needle again. Just one more piece to sew. Put that down. Stop it. But now, I figured out how to move beyond this curse. She pulls the thread through, slapping the meat to fit tight. It's all in the wording. You won't stop me again. These poor souls couldn't stop me. Do you really think the police will? Or you? Arenda turns to Mother Superior. Oh my god, you're Mother Superior, and I know you. I know how you died, and you deserved it. Every second, my great aunt Catherine killed you and buried you. She killed you for what you did. The ghost evil black mist thickens and pulsates around her. She, Catherine, cursed you to this ground, and you can't possess any one person to leave this building. You know that. I know that. My You don't listen well, do you, my dear? I've mastered my exit. It's coming, and it will be glorious. I've collected pieces. She never imagined this kind of horror, did she? She lifts a scary hand, and the body parts she sewed together, legs and arms from different people, Jade's torso, Vicky's head with one of Kylie's eyes, all rise up as one. Hudson's flashlight illuminates the hideous spectacle. Miranda desperately tries the door again. That evil, slippery voice gets darker with murderous intent. Catherine, oh, Catherine, your blood relative... I have something very special in store for you now that you've shared that lovely tidbit. The congregation will give you what you need. An eye for an eye, eh? That's what Catherine said. What in the holy fuck? The ghost stands next to the body it created. With this, I shall be free. Mother Superior moves her grotesque hands as if she's a puppet master, popping them up and down. 
to give life to the bodies in the pews. Zane pops up with a thrust and awkwardly turns with dead eyes to Hudson, the chair legs sticking out of his throat. Hudson takes a deep step back. Holy fucking shit! She keeps bouncing her hands and the dead bodies keep rising up, even the headless Vicky. Clashing into each other in a zombie-like walk, the bodies try to exit the pews to reach their target. The men with one leg seemingly walk as if there's two legs, but it is an odd beat. Arenda nervously paws at the door. Hudson looks around, finding Jade's tire iron, inches from the dead. He rushes to the door, nearly falling on the blood. He hands the flashlight to Arenda as he pries at the door with the tire iron. Ace and Brad, smaller people, move through the crowd of zombies, finding their mark. Arenda sees the boys getting closer. Hudson, help! He turns and, like a true athlete, swings the tire iron, hitting both boys. Ace and Brad crumple to the floor. Hudson's back on the door. It pops a crack. He positions himself and kicks harder. It bursts open just as Divaj, Liam, Zane, and Ethan pass the two boys on the floor to reach their target. Divaj's face is grotesque. His hand reaches up and slams Hudson's head into the second closed door's edge, cracking his head open by his eye. Blood pours out. Arenda screams and pushes Divaj back. Hudson swirls. The others lurch forward just as she pulls Hudson out of the door. They run down the hall. Hudson is a little out of it. His legs weaken as he slows. The bodies fall out of the doors trying to get out at the same time. It's a zombie pile. Hudson falls down. Blood is dripping from his head. Hudson, we have to keep moving! She looks behind her. The zombies fight to stand. Arenda pulls on Hudson, helping him up. He's stunned. She struggles to keep him straight as they move slow down the hall. Hudson's drunken walk slows them down. The zombies begin to move on all fours, figuring out how to stand back up. Mother Superior stands by her meat suit near the altar. She dangles her fingers, her puppets answering her call. Hudson's almost passing out. Arenda fights to steady him. His eyes roll back. She smacks his cheeks just enough to bring him back to her. Now upright, the bodies begin to keep moving forward towards their target. Arenda turns off the flashlight, so there's less of a trace. The hallway darkens quickly. Hudson mumbles, touches his head, trying to focus. He stumbles and she panics. She pulls him into the room they were in before and heads to the closet. They'll go past us. Just... Inside the closet, she closes the door quietly. Let them go. We'll go out when they leave. I turned off the light. I don't think they saw us stuck in here. We can't just now. Your head. They'll go past us. Just. Hudson? Hudson? She gives him a light tap on his cheek. He comes back to her. Why aren't we leaving? Shh. We can't just now. Your head. They'll go past us. Just... Shh. Let them go. We'll go out and they leave. I turned off the light. I don't think they saw us stuck in here. The zombie bodies stumble their way down the hall. Behind them, Mother Superior's ghost melds into the body she sewed together. Her slippery tone calls to her troops. Listen, my disciples. Find and destroy. Step 
By arduous, awkward, and terrifying steps, she moves her creation down the hallway and past the room they hide in. A few zombies go in this room, others stumble past. The gory walk of Mother Superior Mitsuit makes its way down the hall to the closet door she puts Sean in. She reaches for the handle with Liam's arm, opening it. Sean looks up and sees the horrific sight, terrified he screams. Mother Superior face fades out of Vicky's head. She tries to disguise that slippery tone. Young man, young man, I'm not going to harm you. Tears streak down Sean's face. Where do you live? He's terrified. Where do you live? 172 Pecan. Go there, young man. You'll be safe. I'll see to it. She steps back in an awkward movement. Go now. Sean bolts out of the closet and runs for the front door. Mother Superior follows him at a far different pace. She keeps a few zombies around her as she makes her way out to the front door. The excitement of leaving thrills the ghost, her face coming in and out of Vicky's. She looks through the one good eye. It rapidly moves side to side. That slippery, evil voice returns. There it is. Nothing can stop me now. The door is close. She still dangles her fingers as the puppet master, and her disciples follow. Inside the closet, Orenda tends to Hudson's head. Are you okay? I'm fine, just a little... I think it's a concussion. That fucker! Inside this room, the zombies hear Hudson. Devosh, Talon, Liam, and Ethan stumble towards the closed closet door. Inside the closet, the handle moves. Orenda pulls at the door as hard as she can to close it again. Hudson, help me! He puts his hands over hers and pulls. He tries to hold it with one hand, the other on his head. Move. I've got this. The zombies pull hard at the door until it fully opens. Hudson's eyes pop. He knows he needs to act now. He jumps up and punches Devaj square in the face. Devaj falls back. That's what you get, fucker! Hit me again, motherfucker! The other zombies begin to grab and pull at Hudson and Orenda. We have to get out of here. Push them! They push together. Orenda screams in her efforts. They begin to fall back. But the younger and now stronger Ethan pushes through the group. Outside of the hospital, Mother Superior moves out of the front door. Her face pulses in and out of Vicky's. She knows she has conquered the curse. She's elated. Pieces of the less fortunate I move you. We are one. Your sacrifice is my profit. Her hands stop moving her puppets. She needs her hands to steady them as she maneuvers down the stairs. She descends the stairs one at a time in an awkward, awkward gait. The zombies drop around her. She tries her puppetry once again, but they do not rise. She turns to the street and focuses on this and her freedom. Inside the closet, 
Ethan is on Hudson, who is still weak, not himself. He used all that he had on Divaj. Arinda screams, pushing, slapping, and trying to move the zombies back. They grab and moan. It's a life fight. Terrified, she keeps swinging. Suddenly, just as it seems, Ethan is getting the upper hand on Hudson. All the zombies drop to the floor. Lifeless. Hudson and Arinda are stunned. They don't wait for Act 2. As they near the doorway, they turn. The bodies still lie motionless. Hudson is dizzy. Orenda studies him. I've got you. Here, take my arm. We can do this. Why did they stop? I don't know or care. Please keep moving. We have to get out of here. Arenda is cautious as they breach the hallway. She looks in every direction, breathless. Vicky's headless body lies in the hallway. What would be face down if she had one? She steadies Hudson, moving him around the headless body. It's a long, slow walk to safety. They need to be aware of every door, every closet, every corner. Outside of the hospital, they exit the front door. The remaining zombie bodies of people they knew are still. Holy shit. What do we do? They're not moving. I... I don't think she can control them that long. Okay. Quickly, we move. Come on. They cautiously maneuver around them. Where did she go? We have to stop her. She got out. Arenda, she can't fit into society in that body. She should be easy to find. But she can kill others. They reach the street. Not in that death suit. Oh my god. What? There she is. They look to the adjacent street. Mother Superior wretched body is cresting the small hill. Arenda helps Hudson in her car first. Come on, get in my car. Outside on the city street, Sean sits on the curb crying. Mother Superior awkwardly moves down this street. Young man! Young man! He looks up. She still scares him. She tries to disguise that slippery tongue of her that spills murderous tones. It's okay. I saved you, and I'm going to save you again. Save me? Yes. Two bad people from the hospital are on their way here. They heard where you said you lived. Come to me so I can protect you. Sean gets up and reluctantly moves near her. I'm scared. I will protect you, my child. Come to me. Sean moves to her. I'm scared. Don't be, son. I'm a nun. I was a nun all my life. I was alive. I knew nothing else. It's why I saved you and why I need to save you again. 
She reaches with dead arms, holding each of his arms tight. Instinctively, he tries to pull away from the frightening sight. Her slippery voice comes back as her evil face peeks through Vicky's face. Thank you for your sacrifice, my son. As she holds his arms, she moves into his body. He screams and pulls to be free, but he cannot. Her ghostly body ascends into his, and his soul is lifted out of his own body and into the shell of the human waist. She sewed together. The meat suit hands release the boy's arms. She is now in Sean's body and runs away from the grotesque suit she sewed. Arenda barrels down this road. She spots her target, and with full speed ahead, she points the car in the direction of the grotesque imagery. Sean turns to the roar of the motor. He puts his hands up, waving to the car. Sean realizes Orenda is not slowing down. Sean cannot turn fast enough to move out of the way. Hudson braces for impact as Orenda nails the gas. She hits Sean in the meat suit, and all the body parts dislodge from their places, pieces flying everywhere. Orenda hits the brakes, screeching to a halt. Mother Superior, now in Sean's body, stands on the porch of her new home and looks at the carnage. Sean's ghostly image rises from the ground and ascends to the heavens. Orenda jumps out of the car breathless. She looks over at Sean standing on the porch. I had to. Are... are you okay? She turns to Hudson, now out of the car. You saw everything I saw, right? Yeah, everything. She looks back at Sean, who quietly enters his house. Hudson walks over to Orenda and puts his arm around her. She cries. The body parts litter the quiet street. As dawn starts to awake in the area, Orenda sits on the curb by Hudson. Police personnel are everywhere, wrapping up things. Sheets cover the body parts, and police tape cordons off the area. Neighbors mill about the crime scene. A handsome Native American police officer, 30s, exits Sean's house. Orenda and Hudson wait by the curb. What did he say? Did he see everything? Orenda watches Sean and his mother, 40s, walk away from the front door, then closing it. You didn't see a thing. Just your screeching car, and frankly, from what I'm looking at, that's probably a good thing. Nothing but carnage out here. He's lucky he didn't see this. Anyway, we're going to complete our investigation at the Yorktown Hospital, and we'll be in touch. I did mention to you that there are some cameras in the hospital that Zane put up a while back, right? Mostly if people trespass Yes, I wrote that down. Our team down there is aware of that. You two are free to go. You said they were impounding my car? Yes. Unfortunately, we had to under the circumstances. But I did arrange a ride for you two. You shouldn't be driving after what happened, seriously. Taking a night off will do you good. Maybe heal faster, too, with some rest. We just need one to the B&B. I'll drive Aranda home. She smiles at Hudson. You're not going to get that looked at. It looks bad from where I'm sitting. I will. Just maybe later. We'll figure it out. Hey, I've got to put it in my report that you refuse to go to... I understand. I I do. It's okay. He's studying to be a nurse. Is that so? How about starting right there? He points to his head. Duly noted, sir. Okay, I'll be right back. I'll go get the officer that's giving you a ride. The police officer walks away. 
Hudson turns to Arenda and hugs her. She responds. They melt into each other. Her face is towards Sean's house. She opens her eyes and sees Sean's mother standing at the front window. The mother smiles at her, and Arenda smiles back. The mother's smile morphs into Mother Superior's blackened, rotted teeth grin, gleaming and dripping with slime. Oh no. Hudson, look! He turns, but the mother has moved him out of the window. What? That woman! That little boy, she... Her face, it was... It was hers. Her who? Mother Superior's. She was in the boy, now she was in the mother, and... uh, It was her. The police officer motions them to the car. Hey, hey, it's over. You're seeing things. It's been a long day. Come on. You need a break from this. He moves her towards the waiting police car. She looks back over her shoulder. No! It was her. It was... Arenda, shh, 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 shh. I saw her. Let's talk about it later, okay? Come on. They get into the police car. Arenda looks back at Sean's front porch. Sean's mother stands there, waving goodbye to her. She smiles. It begins to grow black around her once again. Mother Superior speaks and it fills the car all around Arenda as she watches Sean's mother's mouth move. I'm coming for you. Arenda turns to Hudson. Did you hear that? I'm coming for you. Did you hear her say that? Say what? Who? Arenda, no one said anything. You need a break. It's over. The cop driving them gets in the car, starts it up, and pulls away slow. Arenda turns back to Sean's mother standing in the street. Her smile once again morphs into the hideous, deadly smile of Mother Superior. Police officers cleaning up the crime scene around her walk past her without any regard to her face. We fade to black. Well, I hope you enjoyed that award-winning screenplay written by me. Certainly a terrifying story, if you ask me. And make sure you tune in for my next award-winning screenplay, titled Within These Walls, coming your way very soon. Thank you, folks. Have a good night. And stay scared, my friends. Stay scared.